James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And I am going to read beginning with verse number 19. James chapter 1 and verse number 19. I'm going to read down to the end of the chapter, which is verse 27. James chapter 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I thought about that for a long time. Uh, and you, you're never going to be angry and get God's blessings on your unrighteousness in that department. You be angry and sin not, but the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. It does not produce the righteousness of God. Wherefore, because that doesn't work, he said, lay aside or lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I'm thankful for an able word. Amen. I'm thankful for a word that is capable of pushing me and prompting me and promoting me. Amen. I would not want to be a part of a church where there wasn't that kind of word preached. Amen. Amen. Somebody said amen. But be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed or in his uh, life. If any man, verse 26, among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain or useless. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about God's gold standard. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Tremendous things are at stake in the day in which we live. And I, for one, uh, have mentioned this before, but I say it again tonight that there are many things that are at stake in our day of which we don't realize the consequence of them at the moment. Uh, not long ago I mentioned to you that there are a lot of, there, there are so many changes taking place in our world right now that it's hard to keep up with everything that's changing and 
Things are changing so quickly, we don't know whether the change is good or bad. We won't know for five years, ten years, or even a year uh, before we'll realize whether what we've changed to is good or bad or whether it's made life better or if we are worse off. Now, you have to be careful listening to the political pundits about whether we are or we aren't better off. You and I know where we are, and you know today that there are tremendous things at stake in the day in which we live, not just politically, but more so spiritually. We live in, in, in a time that is difficult to define. I, I'm, I don't know if, if I'm just a person born out of season or what, but it is hard for me to understand the day in which we live in this sense. We want more but we want more for less. We want more, but we want less. We want it for less. And we try more, but we stand for less than we ever have. We want blessings without buffeting. And we want increase with not the challenges that produce the increase. We want victory without having to fight. We, we want uh, to win the battle without ever having to go to war. And so we live in a time that is, for me, it's very difficult to understand and it's difficult to define because what we want and what we have are not the same. And we keep trying to produce what we want by doing the same thing and it doesn't work that way. And so somebody needs to stop for a moment and realize that something's not right. We live in what I call the dumbing down time. And I have to be careful. I use that word too often, I think. But it is in reality the time in which we live. The drawing down of all that is stable and trustworthy and the world to a great extent has basically said that the standard is too high. The standard is too difficult. We cannot reach that standard and so because it's too high, the best thing to do is let's lower the standard so that we can reach that standard and and so we think that because we have reached this lower standard that we are better. But the truth is most of the time that standard has not elevated us above where we are. We're like Charlie Brown out in the backyard with the bow and arrow. Shoot at the fence and then we go draw the circle around it. And Lucy looks and says that, that's not how it's done. But in Charlie Brown's mind, that's how you win every time. And, uh, and so it is with life. There are so many people that want a better life and they want the blessings of that better life, but they don't know how to go about getting it. And so we live in a world that said the standard is too high. No one can live up to that. And not only no one can live up to that, but the new statement is that that's being panned around is why should we live up? Why do we have to live up to that higher standard? Why can't we be satisfied with what we are and who we are and who set that standard anyway? It is very important 
in life to never move a stake until you understand why that stake was put there. It's very important to understand that you'll never move a boundary until you understand why that boundary is there. I remember as a child that my granddad had a duck that hated me and I don't know, I I know that I probably produced that hatred but uh, it was a mutual disliking and uh, he had this way of letting me know he didn't approve of me. Every chance he got he would he would latch on to me with and he as a child it was pretty painful at time but he would get hold of the seat of my pants and it was not a pleasant experience and one day i remember i went out my granddad we had an old milk truck back that had been or the 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 cold part of a milk truck sitting on the ground we were rich people had uh, had it fenced off and he had chickens and all that in there and and you know it looked cute and uh, the duck was in there and the other chickens were inside the fence. And and so I get this stick and I start poking at that duck and watching his wings. He would go crazy and I thought it was cute until my mother called me to come home and I left that stick on the ground and took off and little did I realize that there was a way for that duck to get out and he got out about halfway to the house. He latched on and it was a ride Uh, that I've never forgotten. But I found out that day what that fence was for. It wasn't just to keep me out. It was to keep something else in. And sometimes we look at boundaries and we look at the day in which we live when there is no right or wrong any longer. There's no standard of righteousness anywhere around us. And it's easy for us to say, what difference does it make? And so... We can't live up to it, and why should we live up to it? And thus, there has been the lowering of standards across the board. It's not just spiritually. It's in every area of life. There is the lowering of standards. How many of you remember when you went to get ice cream, it was real ice cream? Anybody remember that? wasn't this stuff that they produce. I know we've gotten acclimated to it. But I remember when there was a day that you went to Dairy Queen and when they pulled that lever and filled up that cone, it was real ice cream. It was made the way we originally understood ice cream to be made. Now, we don't know what all is in it. If you don't believe that, you just go from one Chinese restaurant to the other and see our Mexican food restaurant to the other and taste the difference. We don't know what it is because we have, we, we have gradually, slowly been brought down to this, uh, this anything will do kind of thinking. And so, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's not really the real thing. Now, That's so in every area of life. There has been this bringing down and lowering of the standard. And then we pat ourselves on the back and say that we are quite sure that we are much better than we think we are. And we're better than we think we have been doing. And all we're doing is just pacifying ourselves when the truth is... A standard has been lowered and the question is, does that really make for a better life when we lower the standard? We have lowered the standard not to God but to ourself and we become the standard of life. What is it uh, about life that is, that, that is appealing? But 
What is it about a lowering of a standard that would draw anybody's attention that wants to be anything? Is that what you and I want for our life is a lower standard? Is that what makes for a better life is a lowering of the standard or the least possible that anybody could expect? Nothing more than what is necessary. Does that really make us better people? When all we do is just get by and we, we don't get better, we just get by. I don't know about you, but that's not what I'm interested in. We don't get better by following the least. We don't get better by following the least. We get better by following the best. And the reason that the spiritual tone of our nation has been drugged down to where you can go in almost any church in America now... And it's almost you can close your eyes and you can, it, it, it's the same thing you heard somewhere else or saw somewhere else. It's like we're cookie cutters and we're trying to reproduce something that will appeal to people. But we're not getting better by that. We're not producing the kind of people that God said should be produced when a work of righteousness actually happens in a person's life. And so we have people that nothing changes in their life. They still drink. They still curse. They still womanize. They still are adulterers. They still fornicate. They still steal. They still murder. But they're Christian. They go to church and they sit on a pew on Sundays. And we're looking at this and saying, you know what? Something's wrong with this picture. The truth is none of us get better by the lowest but by the highest. None of us grow without some kind of pressure upon us. Don't you want somebody to stand before you and say, that won't do? Do you you want a preacher that will stand before you and pat you on the back and say, oh, that's great. You are fantastic. I'm good. You're good. We're all good. Or would you rather have somebody that, gets red in the face every once in a while and, and said that that's not good enough. There's something better that we can reach for. There's something higher that you and I ought to be reaching for that will lift us up to a better place. Is that not what you and I really want most of all? We don't want a preacher that will tickle our ears. We want somebody that will stir our soul. I want you to come congratulate me when I do good but I also want you to lift up a standard and say okay this is what we're really trying to reach this is not what we're trying to be by ourselves but by the grace of God but that's what we need a challenge to a better life and to be challenged to have a better vision of life can only come when you have the right standard before you amen Amen. To lift up a higher standard, to challenge you to a better vision of life. That's what my job is. My job is to challenge you with the best of what you can be by God's principle or by God's standard, not the best that you can be by your thinking. There are a lot of people that think they're as good as they need to be by their own standard. But when you look at God's word, God's standard said, come on up a little higher. Come on, I want you to lift up your standards. So if anyone considers themselves religious, James said, I'm going to, I'm going to give you 
the standard by which to measure your religion. I'm going to give you a standard by which to measure your spirituality. And the interesting word here that is used for religion in, in our terminology or in our day, it would more accurately be defined as worship. So he said, I'm going to show you what true worshipers look like. I'm going to show you what true spiritual people look like. And there are a lot of people that consider themselves to be religious. But what is the true test of religion? What is the true test of worship? James defines it very simply in verse 26 and 27. And this is the test. This is the standard by which all of us must lift our life and say, Okay, I'm doing better, but I'm not where I need to be. I've got this I need to work on. I've got to do better in this area. Number one, he talks about conversation. The test or the standard of true worship is found in my conversation. What I talk about, the words that come out of my mouth, the language that I use. There should be a certain character about my words that Distinguish me from those around me. There should be within my vocabulary a certain cleanness and a certain wholesomeness, even if it's out of place and outdated. Truth is truth no matter what changes. And God said, if you are going to be a true disciple... What comes out of your mouth is going to be one of the greatest witnesses and testimonies of who you are and what you are. And you must be conscious of your conversation. The thing that you talk about and the words that come out of your mouth, those things must be right. My question tonight is, what are we talking about? I want you to I want you to think with me for a moment. When you sit around at a table with people, what does your conversation generally move toward? Does it move toward problems? Does it move toward people? Does it move toward issues? Or does it move toward principles? Or move toward promises? are moved toward possibilities. When was the last time you sat down at a table with somebody and you didn't talk about the latest gossip or whatever was going on in somebody's life, but you talked about revival or souls that need to be won or people that need to be... When was the last time you and I sat down and our conversation reflected not things and people, but God and His glory. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the word of James is talking about. When he talks about what comes out of the, out of a man is what defiles. He's saying you cannot disguise what's in a man. It's gonna come out. So what I need to make sure of is whatever is in here is worth coming out. And so I need to be mindful of my conversation. When you sit around and talk, what are you talking about? 
problems are possibilities. People are principles. It's time for the church to realize that there's a standard. I know we have Bill O'Reilly's and we have Sean Hannity's and we have all of these other talking people that always are criticizing and always talking about what's wrong. But you hear me tonight. The real measure of a child of God is measured by those things that we converse about most often. Amen. Our conversation is a standard that needs to be lifted to a higher place. Amen. What we talk about, not who we talk about. Amen. Praise God. And so I'm going to lift up a standard to you tonight. Let's elevate our conversation. Number two, he talked about our concern. James speaks about the widow. He speaks about the orphan. He speaks about those who are less fortunate. He said to those who visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. What James was talking about here was much more than just visiting the underprivileged. He was speaking of the most trying conditions that could be thought of the most trying situation that could happen in a human life, the unprotected, the helpless. He said, what are you doing about that as a child of God? That should be a concern to you. What does your heart say about all of this? When you see somebody in distress, when you see somebody that's hurting, when you see somebody that's down, what is it inside of you that responds or reacts to that? He said, visit these people. That word visit indicates a personal contact that you make with somebody, a hands-on, not just a prayer in the night, but it means a phone call the next morning. It means a visitation, a luncheon, a reaching out to them because there is a concern for their well-being. My question tonight, church, is what moves us? What moves us? What motivates us? What what stirs in inside of you? When you look around the church, I don't want to just be aggravated and stirred because of the problem that I see. I want to be moved by the needs that are present among us. And there are many, many needs among us. And so James said, if you want to know what the real standard of Christianity is, if you want to know what the gold standard of life is and living a better life, there, it's going to involve your concern for other people in their time of need, in their affliction, he said, visit them. That means that you help them when they need help. You go when the, the, when, when the need is present and you make yourself available. Oh, God, help us tonight. We are wrestling in this hour with the most selfish, self-centered spirit that I have ever seen in my entire ministry. And I say that with all the love that I know how to say, but it is an epidemic among us. 
All that most of us are concerned about is me and mine. And all we are focused on is our problem. But I wonder what would happen if we would come into this building on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, not with our eyes focused on ourselves, but with our eyes lifted to a field and look and see somebody's hurting, somebody needs me, somebody needs a word of encouragement, somebody needs me to love them, somebody needs me to embrace them. I wonder what would happen in our church if a great old-fashioned revival of love were to break out around here and we would bring our agendas and lay them on the altar and we would say, God, I'm sick of being a judge. I'm tired of coming to church with my little pencil out and writing down what's right and what's wrong and what I like and what I don't like. God, this is your church and you're going to fix it. You're going to make it work. You're going to make it what it needs to be. What I need to do is get my eyes lifted up and find somewhere. Where can I help? Who can I help? Who can I reach out and make better their life by my reaching? Amen. That's what we need to do is lift our concern for others. Everybody say others. Others. And the last thing that he mentioned here is our conduct, our character. He said that we should visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Keep himself. Everybody say keep himself. That means there's a self-government that goes on. I've never seen a day when there was a greater need for character than there is right now. It's not what you can get by with. It's not what you can get by with. It's what's right that needs to be done. There are people that I've been around in my life that as long as somebody was watching, they would do right. But as soon as somebody turned their head, they were gone. We have a serious void of character in our land right now. It is almost non-existent. Amen. All we're looking for is the least we can do and what I, I can get by with. And you know what, folks? None of us are getting by with anything. None of us. None of us. We are all going to stand before God and give account. The Bible said for every word, not just our deed, but for every word, we're going to have to give an account of those things to the Lord. And so it doesn't matter what you think or what I think about this. It, it, this is not left to our opinion there are some things that are right. They will always be right. They've always been right. They will continue to be right. I don't care what changes in the world. I don't care how much more we dumb down our world. I don't care how far we lower the standard. That, that never changes right and wrong. They are still the same. And we must govern our lives by those principles. Uh, who are we going to be? People of character, people of purity. He speaks about the pure and the undefiled. It's important that you keep those two together because it is possible that a man can be humane but morally corrupt 
And I have seen it in my own life. Preachers that could preach all kinds of hell fire on people but live immoral and corrupt lives themselves. We need a revival of character. I said we need a revival of character. People that will live the same whether anybody's watching or not. Amen. People that will be the same. There are a lot of things that my kids can fault me for. I'm sure as a father I failed in a lot of areas. And my wife is a great wife and a great mother. And I'm sure that my kids can find a lot of things to complain about if they want to. But there's one thing that my kids will never, never have the privilege of complaining about. And that's duplicity. What we are here, we are at home. That's the way it ought to be. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that's how we live life. And that's how you ought to live life. And that's how you ought to govern. Not what you can get by with. Nobody will know. Nobody will see it. Nobody will. It it doesn't matter. It does matter. It really does matter. And duplicity is the most disastrous thing that anybody can do. Anybody that lives a double standard is in for a terrible, terrible awakening. And there are many people that base their lives before God on their charity or their love and forget about their character. And God said in His Word right here in James that if you want to know what the gold standard, if you want to know how to lift your life up, you need to pay attention to your personal character. Not who you are in front of people, but who you are when nobody's looking, when nobody's paying attention. And I'm going to close with these thoughts. Character will help you live according to principle and not according to circumstances. Character, godly character, will help you live according to principle, not according to circumstances. A man by the name of William Martin wrote the official autobiography of Billy Graham over 800 pages of conversation that he had with this man and his influence on the American culture. And this man asked Billy Graham a lot of questions about ministry and his life and all of that, but he saved one question to the very end because it was such a weighty question. He didn't want to miss what Billy Graham would say. And he said when he got toward the end of his time with him, he brought him the last question. And he said, Mr. Graham, he said, I would like to know when all of your life is summed up, what one word would you want associated with your name and your legacy? And he said, all of a sudden, Billy Graham, who was relaxed, he stiffened and his head turned as if to meet and focus on a target. And he said, integrity. Integrity. That's what I want to be remembered for. Integrity. Folks, you can't get any better than that. You can't reach for a higher standard than that because that's God's standard. And when that is your focus, I want people to look at my life And they could sum it up in one word, integrity. 
integrity. Character will help you live by principle when circumstances would push you to do something differently. No matter how much changes, truth will remain the truth. Not only that, but character will help you live according to convictions, not convenience. Amen. Convictions. That's an old-fashioned word. We don't hear much about it anymore. But it's still a very much important part of our spiritual experience. Character will help you live by those convictions, not by convenience. This is the standard by which our lives must be measured. If we're going to be better, if we're going to climb higher, if we're going to reach that goal, we must reach that standard as well. Our conduct, our conversation, and what we care about, those things matter to God more than anything else that we do. Amen. Talent, my Lord, I've seen in my lifetime of ministry, I've seen people that had talent running out their pockets. Gifted people that could, I've watched young preachers when I was growing up that would just mesmerize a crowd. I remember one man in particular, when he stepped behind the pulpit, it was like magnetism. People just were drawn to him, personality, talent, just he could do anything. He could play instruments, he could sing, he could preach. He was funny, everybody loved to be around him. But he didn't have any character. And his talent took him farther than his character could keep him. And when that happens, you're going to fall. I want that to sink in. Your talent can take you farther than your character can keep you. And when that happens, you're in for a fall. He's a failure today. His life is one miserable failure. Broken marriages, broken life, not one thing that he can, he can depend on. Not one thing. And simply a fact that he had talent, but he had no character. He could woo people, but he didn't impress God. You know what? I'm not saying don't worry about those things, but what I am saying is what we better worry about is our conduct. We must worry about our character. We must worry about our conversation. We must be concerned about the things that our hearts are drawn toward. Let's stand together.